We are continuing our uh, look at the book of Genesis here this morning, and um, we started with Adam and Eve uh, last week. I had somebody come to me before the service this morning with a really good observation, and they said, uh, do you know any couples in Quebec who live in Quebec who are married? <laughs> and he was making a comment on the fact that a lot of couples in Quebec are not married and living together and not married. In fact, that's a, that's a fascinating thing in this province. I think in North America, it's probably the highest per capita of couples that live together and are not married. And last week, we looked at Adam and Eve and their marriage, rather tumultuous marriage, especially after what we call the fall. Uh, but today, we're going to look at their children, or their first two children at least, and that would be Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Can you tell me what you know about Cain and Abel, if anything? Go ahead and shout it out. First murder. First murder. Whoa, wow, that's heavy. Yes, it was the first murder. So who murdered who? Yeah, Cain, uh, he, he murdered his brother Abel. All right, well, what else do you know about them? There's very little information in the scripture, so let's see what you know. Go ahead, don't be shy. Okay, one worked the farm, yeah. And what did the other one do? One took care of animals, one took care of farming. Okay, good, good. Uh, good guess. You only get two choices there. Either it was Cain or as Abel. Yeah, well, we know that it was Cain. It, only, it was Cain. He was the, first, the firstborn son. So Genesis chapter 4, uh, starting around verse 1, you, Adam and Eve, she becomes pregnant and gives birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. This is what his name sounds like. That's why she named him that way. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. We're not told why she named him that. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So you have one who's into agriculture and one who's into animals. In the course of time, we don't know how much time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. If you think about it, it's the first offering in the Bible. Very, very first time that this happens. And so we don't know where they got this information. Did God tell them to give offerings? Is this on their own initiative? We're not really told, but we're told that it happens. And Abel did the same thing. So just look at it really slowly. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Doesn't say why. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? What did he do wrong? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, not too sure how quickly after this conversation with God, presumably fairly quickly, he says to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Remember the question that God said to Adam after the fall? What was that question? Where are you? Here's another question. Where's your brother? I don't know. What an answer. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, he's talking to God there. That's quite an answer. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. God knows what happened. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Notice his focus on himself. Today you were driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. We don't know what this mark was, but apparently something. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That's the basic story, uh, Cain and Abel. I like this fresco that's been made to try and describe it. This is a really disturbing story when you think about it, because our first reaction is... Well, this seems so unfair, first of all. Like, what was wrong with Cain's offering? This is often the question that is asked. What's the big deal here? It seems like that there's a lot made over nothing. Seems unfair on the one hand, but Cain, like, what was, what was he thinking on the other? And we don't, we don't catch it, uh, probably because it's so old and so, so, so long ago. We don't catch some of the nuances here. But if you slow it down, and especially if you read what the rest of the Bible says about this incident, wow, there's a lot of lessons to learn about our relationship with God and about our relationship with people. First and foremost, you will find this to be true. It's true in this story. We minimize sin. I think in every area of life, but in particular, in our relationship with God and our relationship with people. What did Jesus say? Did he, say? he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said that the, basically the whole Old Testament hangs on this. Your, your relationship with God, your relationship with people. This is the whole thing. 
but we tend to minimize our own transgressions in these areas. And you see it in this story, especially if you look around a little bit and see what the rest of the Bible writers have to say about it. So 1 John chapter 3, New Testament, we should love one another, he says. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one. Man, that is harsh. And murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. What actions? We, we scratch our heads. Hebrews chapter 11, the, the beginning of this list of people uh, who had great faith. And they're listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as examples of faith. The first guy mentioned... By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was made was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel, first guy, brought to God a better offering than Cain. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Wow, a lot of significance placed in this first offering. Uh, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus in his short book, talking about people uh, who were out to destroy the church, to deceive people. He says, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. Wow, why is it such a bad way? Uh, James chapter 4, talking about this jealousy. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't have it. And so you kill, he says. It seems like we're missing something as to what was going on in Cain's heart, in his mind, in this whole incident. And people have wrestled with this question for, for generations, you know. Why was one offering accepted by God and why wasn't the other one? And the best probably answer that people can come up with is that one seemed to be just whatever was around. So Cain's offering seemed to be, well, he just took some of the fruit and that's all, and he just gave it to God. Some of what he had found in his job, working the agriculture, and that's it. But, uh, but Abel, it seems to have been the first fruits. That's the key word there. And it seems to have been something of the firstborn of the flock. So he seems to have paid special attention to giving the best of what he had to God. This is one explanation, probably the best. But the Bible never says as if maybe we should know, as if maybe we should understand, as if maybe we're minimizing something here. Um, there's a first offering that takes place, and God seems to take it quite seriously, and so does Cain, and so does Abel. And the response by God really sets a, a chain reaction going in, in Cain's heart. And you see it right away, in verses 6 and 7. Yes, Cain, he's, he's very angry and his face is downcast. And why? Because he's, he, God said, your, your offering isn't good enough. He didn't accept it. He didn't accept him. And so his brother gets God's acceptance, gets God's blessing. So what? He's jealous. And in his mind, he's, he feels 
justified in being jealous, not in God's mind. God says to him very clearly, in, a, in an almost prophetic way, you know, why are you angry, Cain? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, implication, you did not do what was right, Cain, and you know it. You, the way that you presented this offering or the quality of the offering or the condition of your heart in this offering, you did not do what was right. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Your actions reflect the posture of your heart. If you do what is right, Cain, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right. This is a warning. It's as if he sees into Cain's mind and he says, sin is crouching at your door. It's quite an image. You know, you've got the door of your, of your home and you've got this little, this little creature crouching at the door, waiting to jump into your, into your home. I remember when I was a very young boy uh, living in the United States at the time in the state of Colorado. I'll never forget this, this story and, and what happened. Uh, it was myself, I think my twin brother was probably there. We're walking up to our little house in the dusty Durango, Colorado. I was like five years old, I think. And uh, we walked up to the, to the door and right by the corner of the door was a tarantula spider. You ever seen a tarantula? Well, in the state of Colorado, you have all kinds of creepy crawlies there. There's this tarantula right in the corner of the outside of the door. Pointed it out and we went inside. And uh, I, I can recall my mother putting on some soup or something to boil on the stove. And she said, I'll go outside and deal with the, with the tarantula. And of course, we were little kids, you know, five years old, whatever, and this water starts boiling, and you know, I think I thought that the house was going to explode, or that the, the spider was going to jump in the house, or something like that, and, and of course, she came in, and she, she told the story, and she said, we got rid of the spider, me and the neighbor. We're sitting there with our, with our eyes wide open, how, how'd you do that, you know? And she told the story, she said, well, I took a hole, and I, and I hit the spider, and the spider split in half, and the two halves were walking like this. And then I hit it again, and the and we're like, oh, you know. And it took me, I think it took me 40 years to stop squealing like a little child whenever I saw a spider after what happened. But it was crouching at the door, you see. And this is the image here. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain. It desires to have you, Cain. It's going to overtake you if you're not careful. Sin is going to take you out, Cain. It desires to have you, but you must master it, Cain. It's amazing. Uh, it, it's an amazing statement and an amazing experience because even today in the modern, the modern world, and I will say this because it is almost never said in, in uh, churches and in, in this kind of context. When you talk about men, now it's not that this doesn't happen in the case of women, but when you talk about men and you talk about anger and you talk about sadness, and I will use the word depression here 
carefully, but I will use it. You talk about those two things in men, and now you have some serious discussion about how anger in men is often associated with ignored, uh, prolonged depression of one sort or another in men. There's a terrific book on the subject by Archibald Hart there. I put it on the screen called Unmasking Male Depression. And he puts forth the argument that this anger that we see in men that often results in actions that are heinous and often deadly. And remember we talked about last week, and I mean, uh, probably I'll get in trouble for saying it, but men have more brute strength than women. Sorry to say that, but in a biological sense, uh, this, is, this is typically true. And unfortunately, men use that brute strength for a lot of harm and a lot of damage in this effort to control. You know, we talked about how the, the sexes want to control each other from, from the fall and from what happened in Genesis chapter 3. You start seeing it right away. And uh, anger in men often is connected to prolonged sadness, prolonged depression. And this book, I mean, it is stunning, the data that he has on this. Very, very much worth the read. And I'm of the opinion that even in churches, even in houses of faith, so to speak, we do have men simmering and about ready to explode under the surface with their anger. And they're not dealing with it, and it's just like Cain. There's, a, there's something crouching at the door there, needs to be dealt with, but it's not being dealt with. It's a terrific book if you want to read it, uh, Unmasking Male Depression by Archibald Hart. What's also amazing is that Cain, God speaks to him, it's, and God sees exactly what's going on. We may not, as we read it, we say, well, what's the big deal here? Can't he just get over it? God doesn't see that. The authors in the scripture don't see that. And Cain, strikingly, he completely ignores what God says. I mean, God spoke to him very, very clearly and almost prophetically about what was going to happen. And he completely ignores the warning. It's almost as if what God says propels Cain to flip the switch and go into this mode of premeditated murder. It's like it makes him even more angry that God told him, watch it, Cain. Your actions are off, your heart is off, and sin is there. It's right at your door, and you're not seeing it, and he completely ignores it, and he goes out and very, this is what you call a cold-blooded murder. I mean, and the response that he has is just, it's so telling, you know. He, he goes and he kills him. We don't know how he does it, but there's, there's a lot of talk of the shedding of, of his blood, so who knows how he did it. It's probably not important, but look at how he responds to God, you know. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, that is an insolent remark that he's making to God. And then God's going to banish him, he's going to basically kick him out of his community, he goes with his wife, but he's out, 
He's a marked man. He's, he's kind of a fugitive. He's kind of on the run. And he's worried about himself. He doesn't say, um, he doesn't call out to God for forgiveness. He, he, he doesn't lament the fact that he killed his brother. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to care at all. He cares about himself and the fact that he's now in big trouble. My punishment is more than I can bear. Well, well, what about your brother? God, you're driving me from the land, but you just killed your brother. I will be hidden from your presence, but your brother doesn't even have the privilege of what? I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. At least you have an earth to wander on. Whoever finds me will kill me. Nothing about what he did. No repentance. No call for forgiveness. Nothing said about his brother. And yet God is so kind to him and even protects him. After he's done this, puts a mark on him so whoever sees this mark, whatever it was, will think twice before they try to attack Cain. You say, well, who, who else is there? Why, who's he afraid of? There's, is there anybody else on planet Earth at the time? Well, apparently there is, or he wouldn't have been afraid. Uh, but he's, he's uh, banished on the one hand, a fugitive on the one hand, but wow, only caring about himself on the other. It's incredible. But sometimes you see this today. Sometimes you see this when people do things, and you say, where's the repentance? Where is the, uh, the sense of shame? Where is the, the, uh, the outcry uh, uh, for forgiveness and the, the accepting the consequences of your actions? Where is it? And sometimes it's just not there at all. Now, what we really get from the story and what we have to watch out for today is how we deal with this, not the way that Cain did. He's got unresolved anger. It's clear. He went away angry. His face is downcast. God says, you're angry. You're downcast. Watch it. He's got unresolved anger, and he's also quite, quite jealous of his brother. This is a lethal brew. In Galatians chapter 5, you talk about the acts of the sinful nature. You see this fits of rage. You see jealousy there. This is a very, very dangerous, toxic mix to have in your life. The question is, how do you actually deal with it? How should Cain have dealt with it before he went and did what he did? And you see this very clearly uh, in the pages of the New Testament especially. Maybe you see examples in the Old Testament, but you see it really fully clearly in the New Testament. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 has a lot to say about this. Paul talking about putting on the new self. And watch what he says here in verses 25 to 27, Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So when you're in Christ, when you have become a disciple, you behave differently. You behave differently with other people as a result. In your anger, do not sin. And this is actually a quote from Psalm 4. In your anger, do not sin. It doesn't mean... Anger is sin. 
Anger is not always sin. It's saying in your anger, do not sin. Be careful. Your anger needs to be resolved, but don't let your anger lead you to sin. So don't let anyone kid you. Anger is not always a sin. I mean, if you, didn't, if you couldn't get angry, where, where would your sense of justice be, your sense of morals be? Anger is not always wrong. But when it leads you to sin, it is. Do not, look at the speed here. Do not let the sun go down while you were still angry. In other words, resolve your anger and resolve it quickly, even before the sun goes down. Couples, deal with your anger quickly in your marriages, quickly, because if it continues to fester, you're going to have more and more and more problems. And watch, do not give the devil a foothold. Wow, that's some serious language. So unresolved anger in the mind of Paul who wrote this. You let that anger lead you into sin. You are potentially giving the devil a foothold or a place in your life. I like what one preacher said. He said, do not give the devil a rented room in your heart, he says. And the, the antidote for this when you have that anger towards somebody, you feel like you're ripped off uh, by somebody else, and maybe you're justified. Maybe the person did hurt you. Maybe, uh, you know, and in, in Cain's mind, uh, he, he felt that Abel cheated him out of God's blessing. He's not justified in this, of course, but he, he certainly felt that way. Today, when you feel ripped off by somebody, when you feel cheated by somebody, and you, you have that desire to take vengeance on that person, you better deal with it, you better deal with it quickly because the devil is standing there at the door, just like the image from Genesis 4, it's crouching at the door. Sin is crouching there, desires to come in and to have you. You know, it's a nice shoe, a nice suit that, that's being worn there, but he's put his foot right in the door. When you have that unresolved anger, the antidote for this is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. So Paul continues, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander and every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So you want to be set free from unresolved anger towards somebody else. You should be quick to forgive that person. Now that doesn't mean that what they did to you was good. It doesn't mean you condone it. It doesn't mean you've forgotten it. It doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means you're releasing your right to get even with that person. You're not going to do it. You're not going to take vengeance on that person. It's not your place. It's not your business. Whose business is it to, to do that? It's God's. Romans, Paul says, it is mine to avenge, says the Lord, mine to repay. Quoting from Deuteronomy there. You wanna, you have, you've got an enemy, someone who's hurt you, 
He says, you really want to get them back? Be nice to them. Give them water. And when you do that, you're going to, he says, it's gonna, you're going to put, it's like heaping coals on their head from the Proverbs. They're not expecting you to be nice to them. They're expecting you to take vengeance on them. Do the unexpected and be kind to them. You let God deal with them as God deals with them. He's the one who's capable of bringing the consequences out for their actions. He's the one who's capable of bringing justice. He's the one who will avenge. Do not take matters into your own hands and be the person of vengeance. Trust God to do it. When you do that, the first person who you set free is yourself. Because if you keep demanding that that person pay you back what they owe you, whatever they took from you when they did what they did to you, if you keep demanding, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me, like Jesus told a parable of the, of the man who had been forgiven so much, so much debt he was forgiven of, and then he had somebody working for him who had a tiny little debt, and the guy went and grabbed him by the neck and choked him and said, pay me what you owe me, pay me what you owe me. It's a whole lesson that Jesus taught about forgiveness. If you don't let that person go, they're, they're, they've got you. And sometimes they don't even know, they don't even know that they hurt you, they don't even care. It's gone to them, but it's not gone to you. And I've seen people who... The anger over years and years and years in their lives has actually changed their face. You see the bitterness in their face, especially when you talk about whatever happened to them. Tell me what happened to you 20 years ago, sir or ma'am, and you see their face start to change as they describe it. So angry, unresolved anger. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Be quick to do it. It doesn't let the person off the hook. It lets the person off your hook. They're always on God's hook, but they're off of your hook. You will find freedom from unresolved anger when you practice the discipline of forgiveness because if you don't, that, that spider is crouching at your door, wants to find a way in your house. Jealousy. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 what causes this? This fighting and quarreling. You have two siblings fighting with one another. Those of you who have more than one child, you ever seen that before? <laughs> of course you have. Fights and quarrels, they come from these things that the battles within you. You want something that you don't have. Now, when this gets extreme, and James is being extreme here, so you kill, which is exactly what Cain did. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You do not have why. Because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may Spend what you get on your pleasures. When you have jealousy in your life, the antidote to jealousy is actually prayer. Now, maybe when you start to pray about what you're truly thinking and what you really want and why you're really jealous of this person, whoever it may be, maybe as you start to pray about it, you'll start to, you know, you'll be off the mark. 
you'll be asking God for things and you're off the mark. But the more that you pray and the more that you be honest with God about what you really want and why you're really upset and why you're really jealous, guess what? He's going to expose the motives of your heart and he's going to start to change those motives. And what you want is going to start to change because God is working on you. And this is not what Cain did. What Cain did was to oppose God. God warns him. And Cain, the, the switch is flipped. He doesn't retort back to God. He doesn't say, but why, God? Why did you accept his sacrifice and not mine? Why? It's not fair. He doesn't dialogue with God. He just goes out and gets rid of his brother. He wants to strip him of the joy that he has of being accepted by God. He wants to take it from him. He, he can't get back at God, obviously, so he's going to get back at his brother, and he's going to take from him. He's going to rob from his brother because he feels that his brother robbed from him. So sad. Why did he not take up the matter further with God? Why did he not get into a dialogue with God about it? Why did he not be honest with God about what was really going on in his heart? We don't know. All we know is that the switch was flipped even after speaking, even after God spoke to him, and he goes out and does the deed. But when you pray about your jealousy, and you be honest with God as to why you feel so jealous, God's not going to cast you away. He's not going to condemn you. He's going he's to want to hear you be honest about what you really wanted and why you're so jealous and you'll see that's going to help you as you figure out more of your problem and God illuminates that in your life. You're going to see that jealousy start to subside. But you see how subtly it happens, folks. And these two things put together are absolutely toxic. In the life of a, a Christian and a non-Christian, doesn't matter. In the life of a person. They are absolutely toxic. And I'm sure you know people who, it's not that they become angry. They are angry. They're, they're just plain old angry. And if you ask them how they are and they're telling the truth, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, I'm angry. I am angry. And there's a lot of angry people right now in the culture. And there's a lot of jealous people too. And so we have to be so, so, so careful, even in, in the household of faith, so to speak, of jealousy and of this unresolved uh, anger. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, with this we'll finish up. Uh, Rose and Nick, I see you if you want to come and play. And Vianna, if you're in the room, you want to come and play at the end here. It's a curious verse, another one about uh, this incident. Really interesting. Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, the author is talking about the kind of new covenant, you know, that Jesus has brought in, and the whole, the whole of Hebrews is trying to justify how this new covenant is better than the old covenant and so on. And look what he says here. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So... The Old Testament, the Old Covenant is just a picture leading down the road to something that's better, something that doesn't just forgive the person temporarily, something that transforms the heart of the person. 
it's not just you obey, you obey, you obey. It's that your heart can now be changed so that you want to obey. It's not, well, every year you have this ceremony to have forgiveness. You have a system of forgiveness. It's, no, it's Jesus died on the cross once, sent his spirit into your heart to transform you from the inside out so that you start to live like him not in a rules and regulation sense but because you're actually changed from the inside out it's a new covenant you've come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel Jesus even calls Abel righteous I mean here he gives his offering to God a righteous offering, an offering accepted by God, and he loses his life as a result. He didn't do anything wrong in the story, and yet he loses his life because of it. And here, generations later, you have Jesus, sinless on the cross, sinless his whole life, didn't do anything wrong, and yet dies on the cross for all of us who did everything wrong. It's a better word than even the blood of Abel. And what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and what he's able to do in your life today as a result includes dealing with your anger and dealing with your jealousy. Father, I pray for each person who's in the room today and those who are, who are with us online. God, these are very, very relevant things buried in this old story in Genesis 4. And God, as we survey the culture, wow, we see this everywhere. This anger that is ignited in people's lives. A jealousy, Lord, that, that seems to accompany it. I pray you would help us that you would search our hearts. Lord, we don't want that beast at the door to find its way in. God, I pray for, for homes today and marriages today. Lord, uh, uh, so many different situations in this room. There are single people. There are married people. There are divorced people. There are remarried people. There are blended family situations. All kinds of, of different different uh, compositions of family and relationships. Lord, I pray that there would be peace in homes, that there would be joy in marriages, there would be unity, God. There would be, um, uh, your, uh, the homes would be places where your spirit would just reign and rule in people's lives. Lord, that the children and their parents there, there would be harmony, O oh God, that, uh, that strife and envy and jealousy would be dealt with, Lord, that, that vengeance, Lord, there's some relationships and they just operate in vengeance, each person just taking vengeance on the other and that's the way they live. Oh, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to us about forgiveness, Lord? Would you speak to us about prayer? May we learn to be honest with you, O oh God. And come to you, search our hearts, we pray today, Spirit of God, and, uh, and, and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us, Lord, in the way that is everlasting. We're so thankful that even in the case of Cain, uh, Lord, you were, you were kind to him and you even protected him. 
Lord, we thank you for your kindness toward us today that, that leads us to, to, uh, to repentance. But search our hearts, God, and, uh, and may we submit ourselves to you in a new way today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you today. Remember to visit the desk outside. If you want to come to the couples event, you need to register for that. Pick up your kids in number 11. And we've got invitations for December the 4th out there. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday, everyone.